tonight, let's begin parables. Um, and the first lesson that we want to do is the question, why parables? Why did Jesus choose to teach that way? That's not as simple a question as you might think. There are, there are two or three layers that uh, were the reasons that Jesus used parables. And it's interesting, you might not know this, and probably I shouldn't say it because if you don't know it, you're better off not knowing it. But um, the reason for parables is a question that has caused a considerable division in the church world. Um, if you are of a Calvinistic mindset, then you view this idea of parable as doing this thing. If you're not of a Calvinistic mindset, you're Arminian or some variant of the two groups, you might have a view that says, no, this is the reason for parables. Some people view parables as God just stacking the deck, uh, making it so some cannot understand and making it so that others will understand. Others say it's not God stacking the deck so that we can't understand, it's God showing the condition of our heart. And that's a pretty big issue in theological circles, not, not in everyday life. It doesn't have anything to do with the price of groceries, but theologically it can be a, very, a real point of division. So we'll deal with that a little bit tonight and, um, and just a little bit next week, but hopefully we'll come to an answer. But tonight we want to begin. Now next, next week, Lord willing, we'll be talking about the classifications of the parables. Um, there, there are basically two types. There are basically two types of parables: parables of contrast and parables of comparison. And then we'll talk about the topics. There are about a dozen or so topics that Jesus covered in the parables. But um, and then on the third lesson, uh, I, I think yeah, I think it's the third lesson. We get into the first parable itself, um, and then we'll start working through them. But Matthew 13. It's where we want to read tonight from the New King James Version. And the disciples came to him uh, and, and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Now that tells us right there, Jesus said, There is something about parables that separate those with an understanding heart from those with a heart that is not understanding. The question is, why is the heart not understanding? Um, he, he says, um, for whoever has, to him more will be given and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear nor do they understand. And uh, I believe what Jesus was saying is, I am, I am speaking in parables to illustrate the condition of their heart. I want to say this to begin with. Jesus did not tell parables to confuse people. He did not tell parables in order to make the gospel out of reach. He told parables because parables would, ex would expose what's in the heart of an individual. Uh, he said, I'm telling them parables because they're not seeing and they're not hearing and they're not understanding. Not because of the parables, but the parables are to expose that. Okay, all these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables and without a parable he did not speak to them that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. Now, a couple of disclaimers. This does not mean that Jesus did not speak unless it was a parable. But this is talking about the way he addressed the crowd. When he talked to individuals, he didn't usually speak in parables, although he did employ a parable a couple of times to help them understand. When he spoke to his disciples, um, sometimes it was in parables, but usually, especially toward the end, it was uh, often very clear and frank and straightforward. So um, the, the idea of parables is this is the way Jesus approached the crowds. Uh, the, let me give you some 
key ideas. There are about three things I'd like to point out as, as key ideas, and then we'll understand, uh, we'll, we'll try to understand the purpose of the parables um, and, and go a little bit deeper into that. Um, first of all, we need to understand that the word parable, you've heard me say this before, it comes from the Greek word parabole, which, which means to cast alongside. That's what a parable is. It's a casting alongside. It's not just a casting. It's a casting alongside. That's important. And whenever Jesus told a parable, there was a truth that had already been explained or was a, uh, maybe an Old Testament concept or it was a truth that was about to be explained further. But Jesus would cast alongside a parable. And what it means to cast alongside is the same idea of coming alongside to help someone or to, to carry a load. When Jesus told a parable, it was to, to clarify. It was to help understand or it was to reveal your heart. But a parable was something cast alongside. Um, uh, one of the modern translations says that a, a parable is a comparison, a formal simile generally taken from a present event or drawn from a past event. Um, or letter C, a supplemental illustration to aid in understanding a larger theme. Um, generally speaking, the less familiar one is with a, with a principle you're trying to lay out, the more necessary a parable becomes. Because you've said, here's the truth, I've given you the truth, but now help me, let me help you wrap your head around what I'm saying. Um, the second thing I'd like to point out about parables is that parables build a bridge from the natural to the spiritual. Jesus looked around him and talked about fields and talked about plants and talked about seed and talked about relationships, talked about a friend having an unexpected guest coming late at night or um, a judge that is being just prevailed upon by a woman seeking justice. So he, he looked around and took things that were natural to help them understand things that were supernatural. Uh, number three, in the teachings of Jesus, parables were also used as an obstacle for understanding. What we do find, now this is going to sound like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but what we're going to find is that because the parables were supernatural in, in, uh, in, in their construct, um, you only those who wanted to understand would would understand it required desire uh, when jesus taught in parables one of the things it did is that if somebody wasn't sincerely interested it just went over their head they were not interested and they would walk away but somebody that wanted to understand the deep meaning uh, had showed a desire and the Lord said that he would reward that desire. So it required desire, but it also required revelation. It was not something that could be fully understood without the help of the Holy Spirit. You know, um, and, and I think that um, those of us who are not Calvinists uh, in, in our church, we're not a Calvinist church. I'm, I'm, I understand Calvinism. I've I've got two degrees from a Calvinist seminary. I, I, I understand Calvinism, but we're not Calvinists. But for those of us who are not Calvinists, I don't think we understand how important the need for revelation is. We can hear the gospel preached, but unless the Lord opens our heart, we can't respond. He has to open our heart. Now, we don't believe that God says, you know, even in His wisdom, God says, you will receive and you will not receive. We believe whosoever will may come. Um, and, and we believe very strongly in the responsibility of man to, res to respond. But at the same time, we couldn't understand how to respond if God didn't quicken our hearts. 
And there's, there's, there's that tension that will always be, you know, did I find Jesus or did Jesus find me? Yes. And, and I, I want you to know that we can't even understand the gospel unless the Holy Spirit opens our eyes. You, you've seen it. It may be a child, maybe one of your children or your grandchildren, maybe a neighbor. But you know the moment when they shifted from, yeah, okay, I understand, I understand, I understand, to the point where they come to, oh, oh. I tell you, the Sunday that I gave my heart to the Lord, I did not hear one thing that entire day that I had not heard all my life. There was an evangelist there, but he didn't have some gift that my pastor didn't have to explain the Word of God. Everything he talked about, I, I had heard as far back as I can remember. But on that day, it, 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 something clicked. And the things that I knew, the things that I could have recited to you, the things that even as an elementary school kid, I understood Something happened that day when everything turned inside out. Everything turned inside out. And I understood. I understood what I had always understood. And I tell you what happens. Jesus put it this way. He said, when the Holy Spirit comes, He will convince the world of the truth about sin, about righteousness, and about judgment. And we can understand those things perfectly in our mind, but then a button is pushed or a switch is flipped, whichever uh, comparison you want to use, and all of a sudden you get it. You get it. John Wesley was trained in theological concepts, far better than probably most of us here in this room about the truth of theology. But John Wesley will tell you that it was on the voyage with the Moravians when a, a storm threatened to sink the ship they were on. He said, I saw something in them that my theology had not taught me. What, did they give him a greater understanding of theology? No, but what was, what was bone suddenly had flesh. What was dry academia suddenly became living truth. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. So the parables were used as an opportunity to bring people to a point of receiving truth, but they had to desire the truth, and then they had to have revelation. Um, and in some measure, parables were some sort of test of sincerity. The parables put up a wall that... I, 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 I struggled, you can tell from the outline, I struggled. Uh, I, I think it's, uh, maybe it was R.T. Kendall, I can't remember in his book on parables. He said that the parables were a test of sincerity. And he, I mean, I don't disagree with him. In fact, I, I agree with him. But it's not just a test of sincerity. It's, it's a barrier that we have to we have to somehow be able to climb over or step around or bow before. It's like um, I told you in, uh, I, I believe it was in Austria. I've, I'll have to look in my notes. But uh, there is um, a, a, a statue of Christ on the cross. And when you look at it, it looks hideous. I mean, it's like somebody was drunk when they were doing the sculpture of Jesus on the cross. He looks disproportionate. It looks all weird until you do one thing. When you go to the foot of the cross and bow down onto your knees and look up, everything is beautifully proportioned. Uh, it doesn't change, but you change. Your posture changes. And that's kind of what the parables help us do. So, um, they, they were to build bridges from the natural to the spiritual. They were to be an obstacle for understanding. But we also have the promise that even though they were an obstacle, obstacle for understanding, the Lord promised us that He would open the eyes of our heart as we sang tonight. 
He would open the eyes of our heart so that we could see him and see the truth that he was trying to communicate. Okay, so let's go to the, uh, the first major part, understanding the purpose of parables. There are about four things that I want to hit kind of quickly here. Um, first of all, understand that parables are a sowing of a seed. They are a starting point. Um, there is no teaching, no type of teaching, in my opinion. Um, yeah, yeah, I think I can say that. There's no type of teaching that I'm aware of in all of the Scripture that is more fundamental and basic than a parable. And I tell you why. It's a story that illustrates one point. Um, whenever, whenever, if you if you're looking for a good book on the parables, and you open it up and it says nine points to take from this parable, that's not the book that you want, uh, because parables are so basic. They have one purpose, one purpose. Um, uh, and and I, just, just in study I did trying to get ready for this series, there are people that make all these observations. And it's not that the observations aren't true, but it has nothing to do with the message of the parable. The message of the parable is to tell, is to make a point clear, not to elaborate things. For instance... Um, um, I, I'm, I, I read one fellow that said, um, you know, the, the parable of, of uh, the leaven, the woman that put leaven in the measures of meal, and it spread until the whole, whole batch of meal was affected by the leaven. Um, I think that's one of the simpler parables. I, I don't want to make it simplistic. But basically, Jesus was talking about how the, the, the gospel, when it's introduced, even, even if it's a small measure, give it time, it will spread. And it, it, will, it will not be stopped. So he tells us to not despise the day of small things. It was along with the parables of like a, the tiniest seed makes this great tree. And um, I, I read one of my favorite authors, but he said, this cannot mean anything to do with salvation, because leaven is evil every time it's used in the Bible. Um, and then, for instance, he said, uh, the pearl of great price, where, uh, or the treasure hidden in a field. He said, those can't be parables about salvation, because you can't buy salvation. And, and I agree with him 100%, but that's nothing to do with what the parable was discussing. The parable was talking, when it talks about that pearl, when it talks about that treasure hidden in the field, it was illustrating one thing and one thing only. The most important thing in life is to, is to get right with God. If it costs you everything, get right with God. There was nothing about leaven in the sense of, of being an unrighteous leaven or anything like that. And, um, and, and I, boy, I'm, I'm, I'm on a rampage tonight, but... Uh, you know, I, I, I was taught, you know, the law of first reference. Whatever, whatever the first reference to something is in the Bible, that's what it means all the way through the Bible. And it's just not true. It's just not true. Um, um, for instance, um, the Lord spoke through Moses to tell the people of Israel, if they did not deal with the sinful elements in their midst, in their midst, those sinful things would be like a thorn in their flesh. And th this preacher friend of mine took that passage and rolled it all the way to the thorn in the flesh and said, well, it's very clear then we know what the thorn in the flesh is. The thorn in the flesh is Paul had some unconfessed sin in his life. That doesn't even make sense. It, it doesn't even make sense. Um, uh, would Paul have an unconfessed sin in his life that he asked the Lord to take away? And the Lord said, no, this is good for you? No, um, I, I understand that principle, the principle of first reference, but you have to take into context, into consideration the context. Um, for instance, lion. You know, uh, Satan is a lion, but Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. 
And I think when the parable talked about leaven, this person had a, in my opinion, a convoluted teaching saying, this is the way it is in church. There are going to be bad people in church that ruin everything. They're the leaven. And that's what Jesus was teaching. Is that true? Yeah. It, probably every church, except ours, of course, every church has bad people that will ruin everything if you let them. But that's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, man, it's like leaven. He said, and, and I forget the measurement, but it would have filled the top of a table. He said, you can take a pinch of leaven and put it in and, and just give it till morning. And that leaven has begun its work. It spread all through that thing. Um, so, I, so I'm saying we have to be careful. Um, he wasn't saying that you need to save up your money and buy salvation in the parables about the treasure in the field or the pearl of great price. What Jesus was saying is you've got to understand no matter what it costs you, it's worth it. That's what he meant when he said it's better to go into, into heaven lame or one-eyed than it, whatever it costs you, do that. Um, oh, I'm trying to think of, an, uh, of another way of... Uh, I need a parable. Uh, but, uh, um, do what now? Don't use the prodigal son. Yeah, don't use prodigal son. Okay, um, <laughs> that's too complicated. Um, and that is, in fact, you know what? In all of our lessons, that probably is the most layered. But we'll t we'll save that for about April, I think. Um, that it's interesting, but um, it's it's the sowing. It's the sowing of a seed. Um, uh, uh, let me give you one more example. Um, I grew up on the teaching that if you were not baptized in the Holy Spirit, uh, or at least uh, at least baptized in the Holy Spirit, in reality, if you weren't filled with the Spirit, you'd miss the rapture. And uh, I, I grew up, and and it didn't matter what I did. I was. I, am I really full? Well, I'm doubting. I must not be full. You know. Um, and that based on Matthew 25, the parable of the five wise and five foolish virgins, and the, the five wise had oil in their lamp, and the five wise, or unwise did not. And um, while the unwise went to buy oil, the bridegroom came, and they missed the wedding feast. Therefore, if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, in fact, the United Pentecostal Church in America, I don't know if they still stand by their teaching, but they taught that unless you are Pentecostal speaking in tongues, you are not really saved. And they used this scripture uh, as, as one of their, this parable as one of their uh, points of contention. And uh, loved ones, Jesus isn't talking anything about the rapture, he's talking about being ready for what God is doing. Um, you say, well, I just, I, you know, but I want to be part of the bride that's ready. It's interesting, in that parable, the bride's not even mentioned. The bride's not even part of that story. It was the bridal party. It was the attendance. And you say, well, what, what, is, what does the oil mean? It was, it was a lesson about preparation. The Lord is going to come and you are not ready. That's what he was saying to the rulers of Israel. He said, you, are the, you know about everything, but you have not made preparation. And that parable basically teaches that there's two kinds of people in the world. Uh, those that have made preparation and those that have not. It's not those that speak in tongues and those that don't. It's not those that are Pentecostal and those that are not. Well, I'm, I'm spending too much time telling you what a parable is not. So let's, let's move on through, see if I can redeem myself. It is the sowing of a seed. It's the starting point. And parables in and of themselves indicate that when you get it, you don't have all knowledge. But it's a starting point. It's to get you on the path. It's to get you on the path. Um, and it, it indicates that there's a necessity of increasing in understanding. Uh, number two, um, R.T. Kendall puts it this way, um, and I can't remember if I heard him say this or if it was in his book, but he said parables were to safeguard the secrets of God. In other words, he said uh, only those that want to know will be allowed to know. 
And um, just remember the text that we had just read. Um, and you say, what do you mean by secrets? What secrets uh, is God trying to protect? Well, th there are spiritual secrets, secret things. Uh, and and um, I, I think the best definition of secret things is things that are reserved for those who seek the Lord. Um, it, to helps us baff it helps us baffle the enemy. Paul makes a statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that is, that, oh, I, I'd like, when I get to heaven, I, I want to sit down and just really go through this with him, you know, if, if I can get close to Paul. Um, he, he talked about the gospel, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Some say that's a reference to the Romans or the Jewish leaders. Um, and you can make a case for that. Others make a case that the enemy, Satan, did not understand all the dynamics. You know, the, the, the gospel that we rejoice and tell to our children was something that angels long to look into because they don't experience it the way we do. I think they understand it, but they have not experienced it. The Bible says that the prophets prophesied about these things. And after they prophesied about these things, it says they looked longingly and earnestly to understand, I know what I've said, but what does it mean? What will it look like? What will Messiah really be like? And um, I, I think there is a dynamic that says only the humble will will embrace the truth of the gospel. Um, and it, th things need to be revealed at the right time. Number three, you know, it's the sowing of the seed. It safeguards the secrets of God. But God also chose to reveal his sovereignty. Now, um, I'm... I'm going to, let's see, if I can do this in about three or four minutes, um, explain this. We believe, uh, we that are not Calvinists have been accused, well, you don't believe in predestination. Well, we, we better believe in predestination. It's a scriptural teaching. Um, or you don't believe in the foreknowledge of God. Well, that's, that's silly. I, I don't, I've never met anyone in, in, in our church or in our denomination that doesn't believe in the foreknowledge of God. The, the, the difference that we have is how you interpret those things. Um, we don't believe that the sovereignty of God, I say we, I'm speaking for you, let me just speak for myself. I do not believe that the sovereignty of God means that God says, uh, okay, Janet, you will go to heaven because I decree you're going to heaven. Justin, you will go to hell because I decree that you will go to hell. That, that, is, that is really taught by a lot of people. And you say, well, that's not fair. And the response is, well, you just don't understand it. You don't understand the sovereignty of God. I had a professor that said, I know some of you might not uh, uh, like the idea that God sends some to heaven and some to hell. It, it's not, and not every Calvinist believes that. Um, but if you follow the teaching through, you, you end up there one way or another. And um, he said, you say it's not fair that God would save one and condemn another. He said, I say it just shows the mercy of God that he saved one. I mean, God's good. He saved one. He could have sent everybody to hell. I, I, I believe that that's based on a wrong philosophy, not theology. I believe it's based on a wrong philosophy. We do believe in predestination, but we don't believe that someone is predestined to heaven and someone is predestined to hell in that sense. We believe that whom God has chosen, whom, and, and when you follow that, that description of that's chosen, it's whosoever will may come. Those who are truly saved are predestined to glory. We're predestined to heaven. I'm going to heaven because God in His mercy saved me and therefore, I am predestined for heaven. Uh, we, we need to be careful that we don't teach a grace that's so loose that you're saved one week and lost the next. 
Um, and and I, think that's, I think that is the primary weakness of our denomination. We're so afraid of being accused of teaching once saved, always saved, that we don't teach a good, strong work of salvation. And we're afraid of it. It's like somebody's going to misunderstand us. But I believe if you are truly saved, you are predestined to heaven. And, and some of us will be led there. Some of us will be dragged there. But we're going to heaven. You say, well, that's not fair. Not everybody has the same level of consecration. Well, of course not. That's why we have the judgment seat of Christ. And the judgment seat of Christ is where our works come to play. Works have nothing to do with salvation, but they have everything to do with reward. But, um, but I, I, I don't get saved because of my works. I don't stay saved because of my works. And when I give my heart to Jesus, if I truly give my heart to Jesus, I am predestined for heaven. Um, we, we'll talk a little bit next week if we can get through it, if Justin will help me stay on track. He's doing a horrible job this week. But uh, no, I'm teasing. I, I hope we can, uh, if time permits, we'll talk a little bit about this. Um, we, I want to talk about the difference between backsliding and apostasy. Both are bad, but one is terminal, one is not. Um, um, they're both horrible. And you don't want it on your record. But, but to, to backslide basic, basically means to, using other scriptural analogies that you've lost your first love. Your love has grown cold and your, your works are, are showing that your love has grown cold. But apostasy is to defect, to go to another God, to go in a different direction. Now, some say, well, if you, if, you, if you do that, it just shows you weren't saved to begin with. Uh, I think that's true in a lot of cases. I think there's a lot of people that we say, well, we, we, we know they were saved, but they're not now. Just look at their life. I, I don't know that they were saved to begin with. And, and I think a lot of times we have people that come to an altar out of remorse, not out of repentance. Or they're sorry they got caught instead of sorry for what they did. Um, I think we need to understand that um, to be truly saved is to be truly born again. And to truly turn from what we, we were. And truly go in a different direction from what we were uh, going in. And um, so I, I think... I think there's two things we need to be careful of. And that is saying that somebody was saved, but they're not saved anymore. We need to be sure they were saved to start with. And then I think we also need to be careful of, well, they're, they've, they've, backs and they've just turned their back on God. They're going to hell. Loved ones, you don't know what God is doing in their life. I don't mean it's okay what they're doing. But I want to tell you, there, there, there have been people that have messed my theology up. Because I was their pastor, and I knew the way they lived, and I said, they ain't going to heaven. No, they ain't going to heaven. You know, I, I was going to be like that preacher that, you know, doing a funeral, and the man said, uh, listen, I know my brother was a scoundrel, but I'll, I'll pay off your building fund if you'll call my brother a saint at the funeral. If you'll just call him a saint, I'll write a check for the balance of what's owed on the building. Pastor said, Deal. At the funeral, he looked at that sinner in the coffin and he said, this man was a liar. He was a cheat. He was a fornicator. He was a wicked man, child abuser. He was the worst of the lot. But compared to his brother over there, he was a saint, you know, as the way he handled it. But you know what I found out? I found out that I've written people off. I mean, written them off. And God would do something phenomenal in their life, sometimes on a deathbed, sometimes in, it, at the last moment. So I, that's why I say it ain't over till the fat angel sings. And um, we, need to, we need to be careful of, uh, of who we send to heaven before they've died and who we send to hell before they've died. But, Justin, I'm, is it all right with you if I move on? Yes, okay, okay. 
we do believe in predestination, but we believe that when a person comes to Jesus, something is set in motion. We are predestined. It's not that I was chosen to go to heaven and you were chosen to go to hell. We, we don't believe that. Um, we don't believe that God's sovereignty has anything to do with the predestination of our souls. In God's sovereignty, we believe He knows that, but we don't believe He sets that. Um, and and I, know, I know there's there are scriptures on both sides that you, it's, you have to really walk through those things and try to deal with them, and it's not, it's not easy to do. But God is outside of time and space. Let's just say that this bottle, let's say I'm God, and I'm looking in this bottle, and in this bottle is the cosmos, the universe, the history of time and space. To us, it's inconceivable, this, this thing called the cosmos. When did time begin? When will time end? But God, He's just holding up a bottle and looking inside. I can see the top and the bottom at the same time. And, and we've got to understand that God does have a foreknowledge, but it's foreknowledge. He knows in advance what every person's response will be. And I do believe that is the sovereignty of God. Um, and number four, parables were given to explain the process of salvation. We're going to find out next week how beautifully, if we had only the teaching of the parables, we would have to piece things together. But the entire gospel, it, it, no, the entire outline of the gospel is contained in the parables. And um, there's obviously a lot of deeper teaching. And, and Paul explained things that wasn't that he knew more than Jesus, but he went, into, he went into more depth as he was led by the Holy Spirit and as he received revelation. But if we had nothing but the parables, we have enough teaching to help us know how to get to heaven. And, and it's a beautiful thing. Um, let's look at number two real quickly. Understand, uh, understanding the promise um, this is kind of a summary of what I've been saying all night. Matthew 13, 34 is drawn from Psalm 78, 2 and probably the teachings of Isaiah. But I think, you'll, I think you'll be fine if you understand this. Jesus told parables to make things clearer, including your heart. Including your heart. The, the, the greatest story ever told, the gospel, was made clearer by the teachings of the parable, but also the intent of a person's heart was also revealed. You know, you say, how could, boy, how could, the, uh, you know, how could Caiaphas do the things that he did, be in the very presence of Jesus? The presence of Jesus draws out our heart. Caiaphas' heart was evil. Um, it, it, I don't think Caiaphas, if we had him up here in the Bible quiz and the buzzer system, I don't think Caiaphas could have been any smarter in Scripture than Nicodemus. But Nicodemus' heart was a hungry heart. Explain to me, how can these things be? How can this happen? And the heart of Caiaphas was, we know that he is a blasphemer. What further need do we have of witnesses Loved ones, I, I tell people one of the most um, precarious positions to be in is to attend a church where truth is preached. Because if you listen to truth preached, you're accountable for that. I mean, that, that doesn't mean the pastor's right about everything. It doesn't mean the church is right in all of its doctrinal positions. But I'm saying that generally speaking, if a church or a Bible study, or a home group, whatever it is, if the truth is preached, that brings you to a table of accountability to God. And, and um, the, the, the culture in which we're living right now, everything from discipleship groups to seminaries to Bible colleges and even groups like SESL, the, the attitude of many is, well, I'll listen to you and I'll see what I think. That's a dangerous thing. You don't, you don't have to be, you know, a sheeple. You don't have to be, you know, led blindly or follow blindly. But I want to tell you that one of the characteristics of truth is that whatever you are, 
it sucks it out of you. It brings it to the surface. Um, now let me let me wrap it up with this this uh, idea of understanding the idea of paradox, um, and 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 it can get complicated. But for our purposes, a paradox is something that uh, are two statements or more that are contradictory, but both are true. And it's very difficult, and it, it deserves a lot more explanation than that. But um, Matthew 13 is, is the one that we read, and, um, and as I said, it's, it's based on some of the teachings of Isaiah, the, the prophet. Um, so when we, when we start our study of parables, we understand that there are some things that on the surface are, are I mean, some things that are true, and then there are other things that are true, and on the surface they appear to contradict. But the parables help us go a little deeper to understand that there's not a real contradiction at all. Um, you know, there's in, in the Proverbs, there are two verses side by side, and this is what the wise man says, or, or one after the other. He says, uh, answer not a fool according to his folly or you're going to end up just like him. Um, in other words, he says, if somebody's being a, a, a fool and arguing nonsense, don't even give them the time of day, or you'll end up on their level, and you'll end up just as foolish as they are. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you become like him. But the very next verse, or I may have them backwards, the very next verse says, answer a fool according to his folly, or he'll be wise in his own conceit. Now that's, those are two statements that are contradictory, but they're both true. And the simplicity is this, when you dig into the rest of the Proverbs, basically what Proverbs is saying is, look, there's a time that you stand up to stupidity. And then there's a time you walk away saying you can't fix stupid. You say, well, how do you know which it is? You are led by the Holy Spirit. You are led by the Holy Spirit. And um, I, I, think, um, I think that's why if the, less, if the parables do nothing else, and I, I, right now I tentatively plan on ending the series with a lesson about this, but if, but if the parables do nothing else, they remove from us the false confidence of if I can understand it, it's true. If I don't understand it, it's false. And uh, that's, that can be a very, very damaging thing. Um, the bottom line, God's children will hear and see. The children of Satan will not. Now, we all have times that people who are not Christians get it. Or else they wouldn't be held accountable. And there are times when every child of God blows it. Um, you know, I've, I've thrown some things out the window only to find myself going out in the window in the dark, scrounging around trying to find it again. Uh, but there's a difference between being in error and living in the spirit of error. There's a difference. Um, we're all going to be wrong on something sometime or, or overbalanced. But there's a difference between making a mistake or having to learn and, and then just living in that error. And it's hard to draw the line is where you've crossed from one to the other, but it's something that's kind of better felt than tell. You, you've known people that they, they just live in error. Uh, even if they say something true, it's, it's, it's got messed up. But you also know people that, that have been humble enough to say, you know, I, I, I was wrong about that. The Lord has opened my eyes to help me see that scripture more clearly. And um, that's where we want to go. Okay, getting started with the parables. Um, understand as we get into this that the topics are varied. Uh, ne next week we're going to talk about what the general topics are. Understand, as I pointed out earlier, that parables generally deal with only one basic truth. They're not allegory. Um, whenever talking about the, the prodigal son, 
you, you don't have to make everything in the story represent something. You, there, there is a principle. Now, I will say this. Boy, I, I just picked a bad example. I'm going to blame you with it. Um, the, 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 um, there are maybe three parables that are double-pronged. And I think the prodigal son is one of them because it was a clear lesson about the lostness of man. Um, but there was also a very clear lesson about receiving a, a fallen brother back, the elder brother. Um, but I'll tell you this, the more, the more I study it, the more I think it's a parable about the religious leaders than it was about the lost son. I think it's more about the elder brother. But there, there are two or three where you could say, boy, it, it could be about two things. But I think probably it's just about one thing, and we see such a good point over here. You know, it's like Philip was asked, what size shoe do you wear? He said, well, I wear a 9, but a 10 feels so good I buy an 11, you know. Um, some of the parables are like that. You know, it's like, boy, this is, this is true, and this is a good illustration of this. And, and, and it is. It's true, but it's still not the point of the parable. So we've got to be careful with that. Or else you're going to have a collection of parables where each of them mean two or three things. And it's going to, it's going to parables would never have been used that way. Um, the final thing, the value is in the big idea, not the details. The value is in the big idea, not the details. Now I left you two things. Uh, that you might want to keep handy as, as you do your studies. Um, number one, there's a chronological list of the parables. This is based on uh, R.T. Kendall's book. Um, I forget the name of it, but it's, it's got parables in the title. Um, and R.T. lists 36 uh, parables and lists them chronologically. Um, and then there's... Uh, by Klein Snodgrass, there's a list of parables. Um, what is it? Three, six, nine, or ten, um, ten grouping by subject of the parables, um, not listed in in chronological order. Now, by the time we get through this, you may move two or three of these to another category. Like I said, I mean, it's still a work in progress in my mind. I I I, I believe. I believe that the prodigal son is either two-pronged or we just identify with the lost son so much we don't realize. Think who Jesus was talking to. I think it was a parable about the elder brother that would not receive his brother back that thought, you know, I have never failed. I've never hurt you in any way. I think it was about the religious leaders. But man, how can we not see lostness in the prodigal son? Um, and, and in that chapter, you know, the lost coin, um, uh, the lost sheep, uh, th those were so clearly about being lost. Um, you might, by the time we're through, we might take two or three parables and move them around. But that's okay. This is not inspired. This is just a helpful list that I wanted to give to you. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm going to ask Justin to come and pray for us. As always... If you are here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, um, I encourage you to get with one of the pastors or, or get with a friend that you know and just say, I'd like to know more about Jesus. Um, Justin, if, if you think we have time, you might call ministry team forward at the end. But Justin's going to lead us. Um, loved ones, um, I, I, I don't know why I'm so overwhelmed with this sense in my heart. As we go into this new year, I want you to know that God is for you. He, he, he's not for you in the sense that whatever you want to do is fine. But I, I just feel that he wants to put to death in us the performance mentality that, uh, that keeps a lot of us bound. God is for you. God wants you to pass the test. That's why he taught in parables. It's, that, it's to help us. It's to help us pass the test. Uh, you know, I was taking a test one time, and it was 
it was a, one of the questions was the, the, the technological uh, description of the Saturn V rocket, that's the rocket that sent the, the Apollo vehicles into space and eventually to the moon. And you had to describe the height, the thrust, and all of this stuff. And I was very interested in that, and I was, I was just writing away, and I, I thought I was doing pretty good. And uh, one of my buddies said, uh, to call the teacher over, and he said, I'm not understanding by thrust, do you mean da-da-da, or, you know, and he had all of these kind of questions. And the teacher, he knew that he was a good kid, but he overthought everything, you know. Um, he, just, he, he was making a simple question hard. You know, I, I just, I remembered my notes. This is what he said, da 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 da, da. And my friend just, but are you asking for, and the teacher um, said to my friend, I'll call him Larry in case, uh, you know, he doesn't want to be identified. The teacher said, Larry, you know this, you're making it too hard. And he said, I just don't, I, I, don't, I, don't, I'm, I don't know what to do. And the teacher said, just relax. Just roll your head around. And my friend started doing it. And he said, and open your eyes. And he's doing this. And he looked at me, and I thought maybe like the anointing was on me or something. He said, oh. And uh, the teacher, you know what the teacher was saying? He said, you know this. I want you to pass this test. And there was a chart by my desk of, this, of the, the, all the info of the Saturn V rocket. I didn't even notice it was there, but the teacher said, it's on the wall. Will you just look on the wall? Loved ones, I wanna tell you, God's telling you, open your eyes and relax. Open your eyes and relax. Thank you.